Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by MUBI, a curated streaming service dedicated to elevating great cinema from around the globe. For your free 30-day trial subscription, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the review podcast from FilmStage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Robin Barr. Did I do good? Uh, yeah, that was that was incredible. Congratulations on your, your warrior's growl, I guess is what that was. Thank you. Oh my god, and with us today, a special guest to help us talk about the newest film from writer-director Sean Durkin, The Iron Claw, it's Ed Simkis. Uh, do I have to growl too? You may if you'd like to. I would not like to. Robin right, scared me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's yeah. what all the boys say. <laughs> That's not a shock to me. Um, <laughs> Ed, thank you so much for being here. Would you like to introduce yourself uh, to our listening audience? Just let them know a little bit about yourself and who you are. My name is Ed Simkus. I live in Boston, Massachusetts, and I'm a wrestling fan. Excellent. Oh, you, oh, you need more than that, don't you? I mean, that's kind of. Are you also movie. a critic? That might be enough. <laughs> I am a film critic. I am a journalist. Um, I have a background in film and music, working in retail mostly, but learning a lot about it and writing about it. Um, um, wrestling. I was thrilled that this movie was coming out because I'm a big fan of the Von Erichs. I've been watching for many, many decades. Uh, I don't know how old I was when I first discovered wrestling, but it was probably 10 or something. And people wow. tell me, my, my parents always told me that uh, my grandfather turned me onto it, but I don't really remember. Apparently, he thought it was real and he would destroy furniture while he was watching it on the television. <laughs> he would slam his hands on the chairs. And they said I used to watch it with him. I don't remember that, but I do remember finding it out on finding out on my own. I, I watched it one day, probably when I was 10, on television. Bruno San Martino fighting Killer Kowalski. The good guy was beating the bad guy. Then the bad guy was beating the good guy. And it went back and forth. And I got it. It made me laugh. And it still does. That's, That's my awesome. history. That's my history with wrestling. That's awesome. Um, do you mind sharing just relatively the decade that might have been? Because I have really no sense of timeline with when it comes to when wrestling really um, uh, made it. Uh, boy, I mean, it, it was very, very popular in the 30s and 40s. Wow. Way That's earlier like, than I thought. Way before my time, by the way. I was about to say, uh, I'm, I'm assuming it's not <laughs> when you were 10 years old and really got no. into it. No, no, no. And actually, I think pro wrestling, as we know it, kind of began around the turn of the 20th century. I don't have the dates, but like 1902, 1904, something like that. They started bringing crowds in. And it was it was almost always, uh, I was going to say fixed, but do, can I say that? Uh, rigged, predetermined. It, you know, it was choreographed. It, choreographed. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It was always like that, but not to the extent it is now where there's you have to be a good actor as well as being an athlete. Um, so, I, yeah, in the early part of the 20th century, it was big. I would say it exploded in the 50s and mm. in the 60s. 
calmed down a little in the 70s when the Von Erichs started. And then it shot up like crazy in the 80s when Vince McMahon Jr. took over the company, uh, the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, WWWF, from his father, Vince McMahon Sr., who uh, actually got the company from his father, who was a boxing promoter. So that, huh. that, that big company started probably in the 40s. And then when Vince McMahon, the guy today who recently retired, uh, he, he, he shot it up to superstardom in the 80s. No, no idea that he was a Nepo Nepo baby. Nepo Nepo. Yep. And he, by the way, and I, I don't know if you ever watch it anymore on TV, but they, uh, at least the WWE now, they lost the name WWF when the uh, uh, WWE was the world. Oh, it's the environmental agency. The World Wildlife like, Fund. Yes, they they got it in court. They got WWF. So Vince changed it to WWE. And he stopped using the term wrestlers. You will never hear anyone on the broadcast use the term wrestlers. They're like sports entertainers or something. Hmm, it's like cheese product. <laughs> it's just like that. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And now, you know, it's he, he brought it. He made it crazy. They were selling out shows left and right five nights a week, six nights a week. It's calmed down now. I, COVID did a lot of damage to pro wrestling because they had to stop doing all of the shows. They lost a lot of money. But now Vince's uh, kids, that actually uh, Triple H is his son-in-law. He runs the company now. Uh, so it's it's always going to be in the family. And, um, and it's still doing very, very good business. Wow. Well, so if anyone listening was worried that we weren't going to know what we were talking about, at least one of us does. <laughs> at least one of us does. <laughs> we, we did we did well to get a guest on that actually knows what the heck is going on in terms of like the world of wrestling. Well, um, I have to admit I, this wasn't just me watching TV. I uh, I also one of the other things that I'm I'm very proud of is in 1992 uh, a good friend of mine uh, owned a radio station down on the South Shore in Brockton, Massachusetts. And he called me up one day. He was a, an old college friend, actually. He called me up and he said, I got this radio station. I got some open time. You're a big wrestling fan. We do talk radio over here. Do you want to do a show about pro wrestling? And I said, yeah. That took me about that long to, to say it. <laughs> and, and about a month later, I went to his studio in Brockton on a Saturday morning. And I met my tag team partner, Vinnie Carolyn. We were going to co-host. We had never met. We had never spoken. And we sat down at the microphone at WMSX in Brockton, Mass. And we just started talking about wrestling. We were both wrestling nuts. And people started calling and talking to us about it. And a couple of weeks later, we said, we should have guests on the show. And we started making phone calls to wrestling organizations, to the WWF at the time, to World Championship Wrestling. And they said, we said we would like to promote shows when, whenever you're having a show in town. Maybe we could get one of your wrestlers. And we started having wrestlers live on our show, you know, on the phone, doing interviews. And they stepped out of character for us, which we were shocked. They never did that because they always played their characters. So for almost five years, every Saturday, it went from one hour to two hours. Uh, we just It was called Wrestle Radio USA. So they got real on you. 
They did. They yeah. Wow. They, they, That's I, surprising. We, we were shocked. We because they were like not allowed to do it, but because there was nobody handling them, they were calling from their homes. They felt relaxed enough to do. I think four people didn't do it. They they did. It was called kayfabe. With a yeah. yeah, they they play the part, but all the hundreds, a couple hundred people we interviewed. The first one was the fabulous Mula. She was. She was fantastic. Women's champ for 27 years at one point. So I got a lot of my education there talking to the real people. That's where I learned it all. And I, and I, That's of course awesome. I, and I went to matches at the Boston Garden. Of course I did. <laughs> Were they covered? <laughs> no. Oh, <laughs> never mind. No. <laughs> wow. Well, I, we definitely have the right person on today. Sure. Um, did we even mention the movie? Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah I, I very briefly said what the movie we were talking about was. It is The Iron okay. Claw. It is by Sean Durkin. Uh, before we talk any more about this stuff, though, let's get through all the front matter, um, which is we can be found on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show, email us podcast at filmstage.com. Go to patreon.com slash the film stage show to become a patron. For as little as $1 an episode, you get access to our Slack channel where you can talk to us directly, talk to other fans of the podcast and fans of movies. And um, just learn a bunch of random nonsense that, you know, it's insane. Um, what else? Yeah. Um, before before I do the movie plug, I would like to tell everyone out there in Radioland, um, it's like Christmas time. You know, it's cold out depending on where you are. Everybody right now is thinking of sugar plums and pies and cakes. But are you thinking about cookies? That's right. <laughs> Girl Scout cookies. Wow. You're shameless. I am. I, I have no shame at all. I, You're I absolutely want, a stage mother. One hundred percent. I want. Here's the thing. We all know I have a daughter. Um, you may not know that that daughter is in Girl Scouts. She is, and it is Girl Scout cookie season here. And you might be saying to yourself, Brian, I don't know you as a real, honest to God, in person human being. I do know that you live in D.C. and I live in Kalamazoo. I don't know where you live. The good news is all cookie sales now are digital. They're online. And you can order to get them shipped right to your house. Isn't that awesome? So here's what you got to do. If you want some Girl Scout cookies. Takes the little girl away from the whole process. She has. I'm not going to get into it. I could talk for like 40 minutes about this. However, (laughs) she's still doing her part, but I'm helping out. And in the old world, you would bring a little cookie sheet to your office and you'd put it up in the coffee room. I don't do that. I have a podcast. So what I'm telling you guys out there in Radio Land right now, go to gsdigitalcookie.com slash code, right? And when you go there, it's going to ask you for a code. And my daughter's code is EVKQBB88. All right. And then you select the ship to me option and then you buy as many cookies as you can afford without going into financial ruin. And then they'll be credited to my daughter. You'll get them shipped right to your house. I had a friend who bought some like two days ago, and apparently they're already on the way to her. So these people are shipping these things out fast. Again, that's gsdigitalcookie.com slash code. And the code for my daughter is EVKQBB88. And then you just order your cookies. There's some really great looking stuff there. And yeah, Robin, 100%. I want our cookie mom to look at the amount of cookies that my daughter has sold and think 
that I have somehow hacked or gamed the system. I want there to be Is Cookie Mom like the abbess? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. She's like the 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 chair, I guess. Mm-hmm. She's like coordinator. It was more of a thing back in the day when like the cookies had to go to one individual person and that person had to parcel them out to the girls to give to the people. Gotcha. Okay, like, so it's sort of like Mary Kay. Like they're just pushing product on the next person and the next person. No, not really, because like everyone had to order. She's like the nexus. She's our distribution hub. Yeah, she's your upline. She's not our upline because she's not selling us the cookies. She's like if we were to go out into the world and sell and then bring them to our boss and say, hey, boss, here's the sales receipts. And then the boss is like, "Okay, let me talk to the warehouse. She's the warehouse. Ah, okay. Yes. Um, she's also the point of con- so like so that like 17 different parents aren't constantly trying to get in touch with national being like, I don't understand. So you're do only this. doing this to impress cookies are uh, and everyone else. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. As a single dad, I find it necessary. <laughs> oh, here to do, we go. <laughs> to do some things extraordinarily well so that no one ever pities me. And one of those things is just wrecking this goddamn cookie thing. So once again, <laughs> GS, well, I did just buy five boxes, so it's on me. I appreciate it. Once again, gsdigitalcookie.com slash code and enter code EVKQBB8. And when people are like, whoa, I didn't know the Girl Scouts were selling cookies here. You can say, I got them from a podcast. <laughs> Anyway, um, <laughs> that's a completely unsponsored plug for my daughter's Girl Scout cookies. Let's talk about someone else. Let's talk about Mubi. This episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service dedicated to elevating great cinema from around the globe. From iconic directors to emerging auteurs, there's always something new to discover. With Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected, so you can explore the best of cinema streaming anytime, anywhere. What's some stuff that we want to talk about today? Well, first of all, I'd like to replug the Age of Innocence. This got us into a real big conversation the last time around. It's 1970s New York. Three wealthy socialites are caught in a tragic love triangle. Newland Archer is a noble attorney who secretly longs for a life of passion when his wife's unconventional cousin returns to New York amid social and sexual scandal. Newland risks everything for a chance at true love. We also have The Delinquents by Rodrigo Moreno. <clears throat> this is a movie exclusive that just dropped on the platform. Bank employee Moran schemes to steal enough money to liberate himself from corporate monotony, then confesses and serves prison time while his co-worker hides the cash. Soon under pressure by a company investigator, accomplice Ramon, Later encounters a mysterious woman who will transform him forever. So if either of those sound great to you, you can get a free 30-day trial subscription to Mubi by going to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage for a free 30-day trial subscription to Mubi. So that's it. That's all the plugs. We got Mubi, we got cookies, we got Patreon. And we got wrestling. Yeah, and now we can get into the real deal. Our review of The Iron Claw, which once again, uh, written and directed by Sean Durkin. This movie stars Zach Efron. Efron? 
Efron. I think it's Efron. Yeah, Efron. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say Efron before, so I apologize for messing that up so spectacularly. Jeremy Allen White and my personal favorite, Holt McElhaney. Woohoo! And, exactly. And uh, here's a little bit of the trailer before we start talking. Ever since I was a child, people said my family was cursed. Mom tried to protect us with God. Pop tried to protect us with wrestling. He said if we were the toughest, the strongest, nothing could ever hurt us. I believed him. We all did. Morning. Pants tomorrow, please, David. All right, that is the opening of the trailer for the Iron Claw, which we are here to talk about today. We begin, as always, with our nutshell, basic, spoiler-free thoughts, and we start with our guest. Ed, what are your all-around thoughts on The Iron Claw? I'll be honest with you. I'm having a little trouble thinking about it because I'm hungry for a Girl Scout cookie. (laughs) Well, I've got great news for you. If you go to (laughs) gsdigitalcookie.com slash code... Uh, I went into this film uh, knowing nothing about what the film was going to be, but I I did have a a, a pretty good history of the Von Erichs. Uh, So I I knew it was going to be, well, they're saying it right out loud, a tragedy in in, in the trailer that we're talking about, a curse. Um, It's about a a wrestling family. Um, uh, the, The patriarch was Fritz Von Erich. Real name Jack Jack Adkins Adkinson, easy for me to say. Who was actually a pretty big star in the late forties or early fifties, I think. He was a villain, a heel. Uh, what they and the, and the the movie opens with him fighting in black and white in a flashback, and he is established immediately as a very very bad guy because he's doing a lot of cheating in the ring. What interested me at the beginning of the film was. Um, they never said that uh, his character was a major Nazi character. They kind of left that out. <laughs> they liked to do, <laughs> He was. That was his whole shtick back then. He was a real, real bad guy. Um, but the film is about him and about his family and about the fact that um, he never got the, the, the ch- level of championship that he wanted. He felt cheated because people just didn't let him have the championship that he wanted from the start, even though he was quite good. And um, the fascinating thing about the film is I thought it was going to be about him at first. It's not. It's about years later, his young sons grow up to be in their 20s, I guess. And he decides, um, I'm going to still get my glory, but I'm going to get it through my sons. I'm going to make them stars at whatever cost and in that way some of the glory will i will feel some of it so basically it that's the story it's about him ruling the family with an iron claw now the iron claw was also fritz von eric's finishing move he would grab someone by the face with his hand and squeeze as hard as he could and there are five points five fingers that would make them submit so that was his move. His sons eventually did it later. And the whole movie uh, played out, I thought, quite magnificently uh, in telling their story, how the sons grew up and developed, how they became stars, how they couldn't handle the fact that they were stars, 
a lot of tragedy didn't did indeed happen in their lives. They couldn't handle that either. So this is quite a, a, a dramatic uh, family film. I don't mean a film for families. I mean a film about a family. I was very, very impressed by the acting. Uh, we'll get into this part later. I was a little less impressed that they streamlined their lives so much. Um, a lot was left out that aficionados, also Von Eriks like myself, uh, were hoping to see. But I understand they had a two-hour movie. If they did a limited series on TV, they could have got the whole story in. Still, this is one of my favorite films of the year. I really liked it. All right. Robin Barr. Yeah, um, this movie ruled, uh, which is a tough thing to say about what is essentially like little women, except everyone is Beth. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, what, I, what I've heard some of the criticism is that, like, oh, it's so straightforward. Oh, it's such a throwback. Is that really a problem? I, I do not mind a straight up biopic. Um, I don't think everything has to be gimmicky or, or flashy for me to just enjoy a good old fashioned picture. I mean, if that makes me old, an old lady, whatever. Um, it was just a good, like a, like a good, strong story that sucks you in. And even beyond, um, I guess, you know, the emotional dynamics, I thought it was actually really visually beautiful. Like some, some of the best cinematography I've seen all year. Um, just some shots were really stunningly composed, really beautiful silhouettes and the way that the camera captures the, the actual wrestling and being in the ring, um, I thought was, you know, incredibly varied. I think Zac Efron has never been better. Um, I doubt that he's going to get the awards attention that he really deserves because unfortunately with the way that A24 or A24 has distributed the movie seems like nobody got in their screeners in time. And so it, it just hasn't built up that buzz that I would have expected if maybe the, the screeners had been available sooner. Um, I don't know if you feel that that same way guys, but I, I think it deserves um, a lot of awards attention, especially around the performances. I know everyone's going to talk about Jeremy Allen white cause he's the it boy right now, but I think this is really Zac Efron's film. I think, um, uh, Colt McElhaney, Mac am I pronouncing that correct? Yes. He's fantastic in this movie, like easily deserves um, a supporting actor nod, but really it's the ensemble. Like there's not one bad performance in this movie. And I'm saying this as somebody who doesn't really like Lily James. Like she, <laughs> she was neutral to me. <laughs> That's good. Um, so yeah, just a, just a good story. Well told. Um, I guess my biggest critique is probably the the controversy of the film right now which is that um they they left out one brother and there are reasons that we can debate whether that works or doesn't work i think it would have been better to to include the fuller story um but i also understand the the arguments why that wouldn't wouldn't feel necessary or might even change the tone of the film so yeah definitely in my top 10 maybe even in my top five I don't know that I've ever liked Lily James in anything. <laughs> What's to like? I'd, like 
Yeah, I don't know. That's the thing is like I've seen her in a couple movies and yeah, I'm just like, yeah, I don't know if like she's like you're there. Great. Yeah, it's like, oh, okay, you're I guess they couldn't get She's she's oh, actually pretty good in the Pam and Tommy miniseries. Never watched um, that. Uh, it seemed very She disappears I'm in the role. sure that Pam didn't want it to happen, so that wow. felt weird. Well, I I don't disagree with that, but yeah, she maybe it's the makeup, I don't know. I do think have, she does a good job. Do we have no Downton Abbey fans here? Come on. She was very Well, good. yeah. No, she was Cousin Oliver in that. Yeah, but she was really good. Good at she what? Oh. oh, okay. I admit I have a crush on her. Yeah, this yeah, is exactly she's... it. Any guy that likes her likes her because she's pretty. But so the thing is, I so Bill once <laughs> came on here and said, like, I never recognized Sienna Miller. <laughs> and I feel it's like, true. and I feel like I have the same problem with Lily James. I'm just like, who, who is it? Like she doesn't. And what's like, I remember she was in baby driver and I was like, okay, yeah, this is fine. She is, I guess the type of person that like a quiet, sad boy would like, which is weird. Cause I don't like her. Um, and then, and then she was in the, the war and peace miniseries that I could not watch despite <laughs> loving that book. The, I don't know how it was. That's filmed. a really bad miniseries. It looked, it looked like cheap it was as hell. It looked like it was filmed on like VHS tape. Made it was for like two dollars. So awful. Like you people I, are tough. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, this is. Like, I love this novel. Paul Dano is playing Pierre. That's incredible. That's good casting. Can't wait to watch it. Turned it on. And just like slammed it off as fast as I but could. But you know what? Like, Jesse Buckley is great. Terrible. Like just that is the thing that made me say like, who is this actress? And then Jesse Buckley exploded after that. So if it has a legacy, it's maybe that being her uh, pre-breakout role. Certainly, <sighs> certainly the thing that made me pay attention to her. But I know you don't like her. Wow. Uh, well, I know this isn't a Lily James show. But I, I do want this to say Lily James anti-show. My, well, my favorite performance by her, and I'm not I'm not the biggest fan either, but the film yesterday, I just thought she was absolutely ever effervescent in that film. The the the, the Beatles film. She's not yes. gothy and witchy enough for Brian. Ah. And she's not dark enough for me. I don't just need my my women to be gothy and witchy. Yeah, you need them to be Anna de Armas. <laughs> Wow. Love nuts. There you go. Oh my God. Anyway. Um, so anyway, I just felt like we were on Lily James for a second, but she's good in this movie. Um, I, I, this might be the first time where I was like, Oh, I understand Lily James now. Uh, but mm-hmm. I think she's also benefit benefits from the fact that this is an incredible movie. I really loved this movie. I know nothing about wrestling. My cousins were really into it when I was a kid. Um, they had like the during toys. that like 1999 heyday. No, th- well, like no, this had to be like 91. Like uh, you know, this was like really early. The tale of Hulk Hogan, and I feel like yeah. some dude with a snake was big. Jake. Yeah, there we go. And then uh, the Undertaker, <laughs> Jake the Snake. That was yeah, the guy. Jake, Jake the Snake. Yeah. Oh. Um, Brett the Hitman Hart. Right, he was a dude. Yeah. So like yeah, there's a little bit of that going down. Um, so like I I was aware of it, and I was always like okay, but like I don't understand the appeal of this. Um, and I, so I came into this movie like all right, but it's got actors I like. 
I actually didn't know this was a Sean Durkin film until like the end of the movie when his name came up and I was like, oh (laughs) shit, Sean Durkin. I like Sean Durkin a lot. So that's cool. Can we remind folks what he has directed? Martha Marcy May Marlene and The Nest. Okay, so good movie, mediocre movie. I cannot, I feel like I remember liking The Nest. I cannot remember most things about The Nest. Well, I guess there's a part where a horse gets thrown into a hole. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let me say something about those two movies and Sean Durkin. I I think he's on a roll because uh, Martha Mercy May Marlene was about a family, the Manson family, it might as well have been, Mm -hmm. Um, dysfunctional. The Nest was about a dysfunctional family. Iron Claw is about a dysfunctional family. I think there's something going on here. (laughs) Those those are his only three films so far. So I don't know. He's getting good at it. He's very good. I mean, this movie is is amazing. I think Zac Efron is is incredible. Jeremy Allen White, great work, of course. Um, the other two brothers um, are are also very good. I just don't know who they are. I was like, oh, who are these two gentlemen? Um, well, Stanley I, I... Simon, Simons and uh, Harris Dickinson. But of course, I'm primarily here for Holt McElhaney. Um, or Tierney's also great, but I have liked Holt McElhaney for so long. Like I can't even describe the first time I like recognized him in something. Like I just, I feel like it's an innate part of my being that I've always been like, oh yeah, Holt McElhaney rules. Like love that guy. And I don't even know when it began. I like, there are things that I remember where I'm like, oh right. He was really good in that movie below, which is the haunted World War II submarine movie. Or like, you know, and that was even, apparently that was even before Fight Club. Yeah, because he's he's in Fight yeah, Club. Yeah. Like him in Fight Club. Um, he was in this show, like one of the FX originals called Lights Out, where he plays a boxer. He's great in that. He's in The Losers, apparently. I mean, yeah, he just pops up and stuff. And every time I see him, I'm so happy. Yeah. And luckily, you know, he got a boost from Mindhunter, which I thought he was very good in. Um, definitely actually not just very good. He's perfect in that. He's the best part of that show. His partner is a drip, <laughs> but <laughs> Holt McElhaney rules. I recently did a rewatch of Mindhunter before the killer came out. And I was just like, God, Holden fucking sucks in this show. Bill Tench is the best. I wish Holden would just die. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I was excited to see him in this movie and he, brings it in every scene. He's an incredible overbearing father who is awful, but not so comically evil that you can't understand why his sons like give him chances and why they still are around him. There's just some, there's so many layers to his, his anger and his like chip on his shoulder and everything like that. And it's just great. And the, the family dynamics on, on display in this movie are amazing and this movie at once you know at the end without like spoiling anything like it it warmed my heart but it also had me in tears and i'm here for that this time of year so you yeah, can't ask for better works. yeah uh if i've got to stick up for one of the actors you weren't familiar with uh who played david harris dickinson uh because i never recognize him when i see him there's a new film i don't know if this new film is opened yet it's called scrapper it might have come out already and gone but it or else it's coming a little British film where he is the lead in it. And he's amazing. 
And just the last year, or maybe it was two years ago, he was the lead role in Triangle of Sadness. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Oh, was, the male was, model? Yep. Yep. The influencer. That totally was Totally unrecognizable. I, I know. Well, well, it says something about uh, his scope. He, yeah. Yes. Also Ooh. in A Murder at the End of the World, which is a TV series I've heard good things about. Yeah. Uh, Where the Crawdads Sing, which is a title that I recognize. Oh, um, terrible movie. Yeah. <laughs> just didn't really bother to see that one. Uh, but yeah, uh, um, he Trump. was he was really great in this movie. And I look forward to catching up with more of his oeuvre as time goes on. There you go. And, and Mara was, was terrific, too, although I didn't really like her character, Mara Thierry, as mom. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, but it's a it's a strong performance. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I think, you know, when, when you've got a movie that's this packed with people, there are people who are going to be falling on the wayside. And unfortunately, she's part of it, though. there She has some incredible scenes in this movie, and I am excited to talk about them. Uh, the soundtrack is also great. Cinematography oh, wonderful. yeah. Perfect uh, needle drops. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. Like this. Uh, one of the things that I appreciate most about this movie is the extent to which. Uh, you get sold on the the blurred reality, uh, false like dichotomy of what's going on. Like there there were scenes where I'm like I can't, I don't know if this character is acting like he's hurt or if he's actually hurt. And mm. it's things like that I think that this movie made me understand suddenly like oh this is why people like this this sport or this style of entertainment because. Yes, it is scripted and prescribed to some degree, but there is an element of reality in it. And in fact, uh, Kevin in this movie played by Zac Efron says like, you know, it's it, it's it's scripted, but it still depends on you being the best. Like, you know, they're not going to let someone who's bad at this win. And so you start to see those that interplay of performance, but actual ability and the way that it it there's like this weird alchemical interest that happens. Like when he gets thrown to the ground and you're watching him and you're like, is he giving a stellar performance right now or did he actually get hurt on that one? Right. And is his inability to bounce back from being actually hurt going to hold him back in this other way? And so, yeah, I. Uh, you know, usually if I'm watching a movie about about or not about wrestling, but that involves wrestling, I'm not going to be that interested in the wrestling itself. And this is one of the first movies where I feel like I really understood, at least to the wrestler, what precisely his uncertainty was and what the stakes were for him. Like even in the movie, The Wrestler, which is incredible and I love, it felt a little more like, you know, just putting on an act. And this one, I think they sold the physical reality of it a little more and the uncertainty. So I well, wanted to, I, I really wanted to, to shout that out. <laughs> you know, it, it, yes, people in this, I, I call it a sport, you know, but I, I also say that uh, Die Hard isn't a Christmas movie. So but that's a whole other argument. Wrestling is a sport of sorts. You know, it's choreographed. Of course it is. But these guys and women are athletes. They have to do this stuff. They have to get in the ring. And they have to perform and they have to win over an audience, too. And they have to remember all of the moves that they're supposed to do so there are no accidents. Uh, the scene I think you were referring to in the film where you were wondering if Zac Efron got hurt. There's a scene where he's fighting where uh, uh, Kevin Von Erich is fighting Harley Race, 
who was yes. in real life the, the champion at the time of the uh, National Wrestling Alliance. He was brought to Texas to sell some tickets and build up the the, uh, the company down there. And Harley Race in the film threw Kevin out of the ring and slammed him onto the cement floor. That really happened. That is a true story. And he almost got knocked out. And in the film, you can see that he can hardly get up. Mm-hmm. He couldn't get up. <laughs> he didn't know that he was, that was not scripted, that part, being right. thrown onto the cement floor. So, yeah, that was that was kind of scary to me, even though I knew I was watching actors and he landed, obviously, not on cement. But But that's part of the whole thing. Win over the crowd, do your athletics, remember every move, and be a good actor in the promos, the uh, the interviews in between the fights. So it, it's a complex thing. Yeah, and the movie does an incredible job at, at again, just investing you in, in that interplay and then having Zac Efron play that. He's clearly, like, physically incredible, but it is it is interesting how a scene where he is bad at delivering some patter on tape, you know, it has oh, to be. Oh, yeah, yeah that times. was so good. You think yeah, it's just kind promo, of a yeah. funny moment, and then it becomes like a through line of it's like he is incredible it's like all of this stuff but there's this one little thing that's going to hold him back yeah the lack of charisma yeah he just <laughs> can't nail that i mean and meanwhile his like all of his brothers <laughs> are basically able to lap him like at least david and carrie basically like hop on the scene and immediately are just so much better at the performance aspect that even though they may not be as good at the physical aspect it's it's that thing of like if you hire a truck driver to play a truck driver, the performance will probably read as false. But if you get a really good actor to play a truck driver, even though he won't be actually good at driving the truck, you'll buy it more. It's like, okay. Yeah, it's though- like how we we look at caricatures of celebrities and actually think that is more realistic than an actual picture right. of a celebrity like if you if you see um not a caricature but like a a slightly doctored photo that emphasizes their most prominent features like you mm-hmm. think like oh that's arnold schwarzenegger yeah. or whatever but it's but the more bland version is him so like david comes in and he's not as ripped and you know i just like it, in the movie it's like he's he's a good wrestler i just don't think he he reaches the levels of what kevin can do but he is so much better at hopping up and then given one of those classic wrestler monologues of like, you came into our house and tried to disrespect our family. <laughs> and like, yeah, he's got that line where he he's like, you know, the iron claw, which our fam, which our father passed down to us and which we're going to d- deliver to you. And it's just like, shit. Yeah. I want to see that guy do the iron claw. Yeah. And unfortunately, Kevin just doesn't have that juice. No, but you know, you know what? Something was never pointed out. You just had to see it. Kevin was a barefoot wrestler. Nobody mentions a word about it. He never wears wrestling boots in the entire movie. So I noticed notice that? that in the movie because I was I was just like, other people are wearing the boots, right? <laughs> He's one of the only few in the entire industry who does that. Yeah, don't know what that was about. I don't know. It did make him seem a little more uh, Promethean, like a little more... <laughs> like, you know, like Herculean. You know, you, you just like, you have those images of like the the like the bodybuilders or or these like greek gods and they don't wear shoes right so like why would this guy <laughs> it was literally what was going through my head and it's not just because he had the most freaking bulked out insane lou ferrigno style body on earth in this 
Yeah, well, that actually, I had that. I was nitpicking about that too because Kevin Von Erich in real life was not pumped up like that. Still, still is not. He he wasn't the smallest of the group, but he didn't have he didn't bulge like that. But that I was okay. Wonder, yeah, I, I just I wonder if that was a choice of like I don't know. I've always had the impression that Zac Efron was a tiny guy, so maybe they were like, look. You got to bulk up a little bit because we need you to really read as the guy who should be on top, but is not for whatever reason. And everyone, I mean, like Jeremy Allen White, I've loved him since Shameless. He was the best part of that show, even as it started going friggin insane. He's great in the bear. It's like almost become hack to say like, oh, Jeremy Allen White's a good actor. And so even when I saw the trailer, I was like, oh, Jeremy Allen White's in this like. It just felt like, all right, are we just hopping on him because he's popular? But no, he delivers like an incredible <laughs> performance in this. And it made me yeah. sad for being cynical <laughs> about his casting because he's really, really good in this. Yeah. You know, I, this this could have been just the Terry Von Eric story because his story was so dramatic stuff that's not in the film. Yeah. Uh, but but because of the way things turned out in real life, I guess it had to be the Kevin story. I mean, and and we can, I think now that's actually like a good point where we can start saying like we're going to start spoiling this. It's a true story. You know, clearly we're all very enthusiastic about this movie, so go and see it, but we are about to start spoiling it. And um yeah, it's it's in seeing the trailer, I was like, oh, you know, they talk about this curse. One of these guys is going to die and it's going to be about the family trying to like come through it. I did not realize that it was basically like a final destination movie. <laughs> And like all of these guys were going to die except for Kevin. I was like blown away at just the amount of tragedy that's visited on this family. And the fact that like there's a, a, a an older brother who like died at six. Yeah. And, which, and extremely tragically. Like they oh, don't even get into it. To, to, I couldn't. Okay. So I looked it up on Wikipedia because I read a couple of interviews with Sean Durkin. And first of all, so... I guess just to one of the things that I feel like some of us had said we want to talk about was the places where this movie breaks from reality. Um, But like, so there's another brother who's not in this movie who also died tragically. That's insane to me. I I, like my brother-in-law who is into wrestling and knows this stuff said that like the Von Erics are like the Kennedys of American wrestling like they're this empire. oh don't don't uh, insult them like that there's this they're this empire <laughs> family who is visited by immeasurable tragedy and i was like yeah man in the movie like you know so like like four brothers are dead or whatever and then meanwhile it's like oh they had to cut a fifth brother out okay i'm the sorry movie. the it's whole insane. thing with the kennedy tragedy is like it's all their own making I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, because, like, you know, you're a president and someone wants to kill you or you're a presidential candidate and someone wants to kill you. I mean, depending <laughs> on your perspective. <laughs> they those... put themselves out there to be shot by maniacs. Uh, or the mafia, for example, you don't know. Oh, but I mean, Robin. <laughs> OK, if you think about like John Kennedy Jr., he went against the the regulations of flying and chose to fly in dangerous conditions mm-hmm. and wouldn't have been flying at all if he weren't just like a rich playboy like or Ted Kennedy who literally left a woman to die 
Oh, yeah, um, not great. And, like, it wasn't like she was drowning. She was in an air pocket for four hours. Like, you could have rescued her. I'm sorry. Or, well, then, you know... Um, I didn't say they were morally Rosemary similar. Rosemary Kennedy, whose, whose dad literally lobotomized her. Oh, yeah. Like, that was really bad. These weren't, like, random, you know, Zeus throwing a, um, a lightning bolt. Like, these were just people being shitty. Well, well, what do you think the case is with this movie? I think it was the villainous father. Who, right. Who yeah, caused I would say everything. At least two... No, yeah, I would say like th- the three brothers we see die could all pretty much be traced back to dad. I think that Carrie didn't have to get on that motorcycle and lose his foot and then, you know, fall into drugs and, and you know, that that could be a little bit of like his own choices. But I mean, like he 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 did it because of his dad and Mike entered the ring because his dad wanted to. Mike could have been a musician and instead, Mike decided to try to be a wrestler, broke his shoulder, had a two-hour-long, 170-degree fever that baked his brain. And then, uh, yeah, David wanted to go to Japan and uh, beat uh, Pretty Boy Ric Flair. And instead, he died because of a ruptured uh, intestine that he refused to have treated. Well, now, yeah. wait a minute here. <laughs> I don't Red know Tommy. about that. I don't think that's that was the official reason for his death. Uh, David was hooked on Placidil, which is a, a really heavy-duty sleeping pill, and a whole lot of that stuff was found on and in David when they found his dead body, and it's never been proven, and it's not mentioned in the movie. They just said it was the ruptured intestine. Um, so would well, that they have... did allude to him taking a lot of pills. Yep, but that's most likely what happened when he went to Japan. It was the night before he was supposed to do the fights over there. Yeah, and it, but it's never been proven. But it's widely believed in the wrestling community. And there was also a lot more about Carrie. I mean, <laughs> Carrie. Oh, yeah, Carrie was no angel. It showed him. We think we. You know, it's a funny moment in the film. Somebody is taking in an injection in their body somewhere and they never show the face. I had to assume that was Kerry because Kerry was doing a lot of steroids in mm-hmm. his life. Um, Kerry was like a, a casual drug user who started using the steroids to build himself up, especially when he left the family to go to the WWF. Right. That's like casually mentioned. He became a star again in the WWF, but steroids were made illegal at that point and he had to stop taking them and he kind of lost his physique that he had he had a pretty good one and he also lost the belt that he had he was the intercontinental champ in wwf and during all that time this is not a spoiler because it's just not in the movie Kerry was arrested for forging prescriptions for all all kinds of drugs and he was suspended by the WWF and they finally he 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 went to rehab and got back on the drugs and they fired him he was he didn't know what to do he owed money to the IRS couldn't make ends meet by the way he was married that's not in the movie either um and after uh, uh, after he uh let me see, I'm, I'm looking at my notes here because it's so involved after his wife served him with divorce papers it was like he was like not quite himself. He was back down at the sportatorium in Texas doing independent things. 
And the night he got those papers, this is, this is a fact, he grabbed the microphone, told the audience that his wife was divorcing him, and then he said he would be taking phone numbers later in the back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whoa! Yes. He was also in the middle of all this. He was serving 10 years probation for the prescription forging stuff. Um, and he was arrested. Terry was arrested in 1993, in January of 1993. He was charged with cocaine possession. And he knew, he knew at the time that if he got indicted, he, you know, he would, his career would be over. He might go to prison. And he actually, this is also a fact, he also told some friends if he was indicted, he would kill himself. Mm. He was indicted. That's not in the movie either. And I'll leave it at that. He had a really tragic history going on throughout his life. Well, I mean, yeah. And it's it's funny that you say, like, you know, he could support a movie on his own because he could. I feel like almost all of these guys could. You know, the movies would be a varying size and scope and uh honestly sure. budget i feel like michael's would be pretty pretty cheap to produce but carrie was like gonna go to the olympics yeah and then yeah you know that that freaking peanut farmer <laughs> decided not to send him there <laughs> i maybe should explain that a little it was in 1980 and carter said we were boycotting the moscow olympics and and yeah carrie's life was actually shattered and that's why he got into wrestling he so really, we should be yet. we should be blaming Carter. Is, is that's right? <laughs> Carrie was perfectly fine before Carter went in there and messed everything up. Uh, now you were talking a minute ago about somebody who is not mentioned in the book. They they did mention that young young boy Jack Junior, who was yes. six years old. He was playing outside. He touched a live wire. He was electrocuted. He fell down into a puddle and drowned. When he was six years old, which is and the, which is just like the oh my god, wow. <laughs> yeah. And the allusion to that is near the beginning of the film. The father Fritz is saying to the family, "We've been through hell," and they never say what it is until much later in the film. It was that was shortly after that when they were young mm-hmm. kids. So, um, what a mess! What a man! You know, David. David was married. That's not in the film. He was married twice. He was married and his first wife, they had a, a young girl and she died when she was one year old. Oh, I mean, yeah. what is, what happened to this poor family? What, there, maybe there was a curse. Well, that's why, I, that's why when it comes to the question of like cutting out this other brother, Chris, I, there is a part of me where I'm like, if you're not going to have this be a six to eight episode, like limited series or whatever, I, you, you got to make some of those cuts, man. Because otherwise, this movie would be punishing, like, and and that almost you know, that's, to the point of comical in a way. Yeah, it would it would start to feel like okay. Like I I I said this in the Slack earlier today, like, and I'll say it here: if that were to be the case, if they were to just keep knocking people off in this family, it would be like punishing to the point of like, oh my god, I get it. Like narratively, this is unnecessary. <laughs> like, why do you have to keep? taking it away and so i feel like they have for the purpose of this movie this story that they're telling calibrated the the level and the pacing (laughs) of the tragedy uh perfectly and it sounds crazy to say that but like yeah i just don't understand how you fit 
two to three more deaths into this movie without it being like, oh my God, like, gee, come on, like cut the family so, a break. When I was in college, I took a screenwriting class because of course I did. And I remember the <laughs> professor um, saying something like, movies rarely show amputated limbs because it's supposed to emphasize horror but actually people just end up laughing at it because like the image of um you know a leg or a foot or a hand or an ear is just like odd it's so odd that it's comical and also i guess you know to some point like um discomforting and so you know that could also elicit a laugh response but I was reminded of it when you were talking about that, because I think at some point you hit a threshold when it comes to tragedy or like, you know, tragedy in a short period of time where um, the more, you know, the it, it's not just punishing. It's like actually like at some point I could see the audience beginning to laugh out of like disbelief slash absurdity. Um, yeah. So that might end up, you know, undermining the tone that you're going for if it just feels like absolutely relentless. Uh, let me give you a little more relentless. Do it. <laughs> well, okay. You mentioned Chris, the, the young youngest brother who was not even mentioned in this movie. Unless you stay for the end credits, there is a little dedication to him, to the whole family. And Chris is mentioned at the very end, the very last credit. He was the youngest brother. Mm-hmm. He, had, he had asthma, and he had to deal with that. But Fritz said, oh, no, 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 you're going to become a wrestler. We need all of you guys in here. And he only ended up fighting a few matches. He got you know training at the very last minute, but the mm-hmm. asthma kind of kind of got in the way. And he knew. He knew he was never going to make it as a wrestler. And uh, when he was 21 years old, shortly after that, he got a gun and shot himself in the head. And that's mm-hmm. not in the movie. That character is not in the movie. Okay, that's that part. Now, <laughs> you you brought up the the amputation business. Here's a. I love telling this story. <laughs> oh God. Uh, okay. Okay. Kerry was in that bad motorcycle accident the night that he won the championship. In reality, that motorcycle accident was two years after he won that championship. But they did that for you know drama or whatever. He. he crashed into the back of a patrol car when he was trying to pass somebody. What happened that night was his right foot was in very, very bad shape, but he had surgery and he was going to be okay. But he also suffered a a dislocated hip. His right ankle was crushed. There were some internal injuries, but he said, I'm going to be back in the ring. That happened in the summer. Just after Christmas, he, he got back in the ring. They fixed things. They actually fused, they supposedly fused the foot into a walking position. And he returned to the ring and he did it. And he he went on a tour of Japan with with Kevin. But at one point, that foot, as you mentioned, was indeed amputated. Some people say that it happened around Thanksgiving, way before they went on it. And he had a prosthetic foot put on so he could somehow, even through the pain, you see the pain in the movie when he's training, Here's what most people don't know. But again, I, I triple checked on this. I've been dealing with a, a gentleman named Dave Meltzer who puts out the Wrestling Observer newsletter. He is the wrestling historian of the world right now. Did you say you're dealing with? 
dealing with. I, okay. I, I talk with him a lot, mm. you know, just to get facts. And I did a little fact checking. Okay. Summer of 1988. Well, a little while after that foot was amputated. Kerry Von Erich was wrestling a bad guy named Colonel De Beers, a South African guy, in, in an AWA show it was in Las Vegas. Colonel De Beers did not know anything about what happened at that accident. He knew nothing about an amputation or anything. In the middle of the match, he grabbed Kerry's right foot boot and it came off <gasps> and there was no foot there. Oh, fuck. And this happened in the middle of the ring and Kerry managed to grab the boot, get it on his foot under the ring and, and somehow continued the fight. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's another story they decided not to trouble us with. Well, again, that almost seems like it would be comical more so mm -hmm. than horrifying. True. Or, true. or humiliating. Maybe both. Maybe both. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I'm kind of glad I didn't see that myself. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting because I work in disability services. I don't think there's anything shameful about having an amputation or, or having a, a disability or a limb difference or anything like that. Um, so it was interesting to watch this character go through that shame. Uh, not not just the shame, but the pain and the shame. Um, he was determined to get back in the ring. I don't know if there was really shame. He just wanted to do it. Well, to me, thought. there's some element of shame if you're uh, going to try to hide yourself in a way. And, and, and for good reason. There's stigma and... You know, I don't know, for all I know, in the in the early 80s or something, you know, some maybe people wouldn't have assumed that somebody with that type of injury could could be a wrestler. So I, I don't I don't really know. I mean, I'm not judging him yeah, or yeah. judging the character. Uh, just it's um, jarring to watch a little bit because I come from such a different world. I think Fritz made him do it. Mm. I don't know. What a villain. Is yeah. he, though? Because I guess there's a part of me that... I See, I don't... I, it was like what you're saying, Brian. You know, what they portray is somebody that is is hard and difficult and unforgiving, but also deeply loving. I don't know. I guess it depends on your definition of what is loving. But, you know, this wasn't somebody that, that hated his children. It He obviously had a lot of ambition for them and that can mm -hmm. be damaging but i i didn't really feel like i was getting villainy but a lot of complexity well okay look and let me change that then i just thought he was a domineering father oh and extremely I honestly, and i honestly thought he was using his kids to get that lost glory that he oh, could 100%, have yeah and bring it's, the belts of the family fine. Oh, the vicarious, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like, look, I didn't do it. You guys have got to be better than me, and I know how hard I pushed myself, so I got to push yeah. you even harder. And, you know, again, like, to to an extent, when you open up on, on them, they are a perfectly happy, like, family. Everything's great. Like, Kevin isn't like, I need to get the fuck out of this place. He's like, you know, I, I love my family. I love my brothers. Like, we all want to hang out. You know, when, when Carrie comes home, like, the brothers break out of the house and, like, go party together. Like, there yeah. is so much warmth and affection and love. And when he's talking to Lily James's character, 
whose name escapes me at the moment. Um, Pam. Pam. You know, he says like, yeah, like what I want from life is, you know, to, to be with my family and my brothers. And she's like, what do you like doing with the brothers? He's like everything. Like, and I, I mean, the, the end of the movie doesn't work as well as it does if you don't buy these people as people who love one another and who do it at the end of the day want the best for each other. I think Holt McElhinney has a very difficult job in this movie because he has to be a pernicious influence on their life without being like a detestable monster where you're just like, you got to get away from him. Like it, it she's marmy. <laughs> I just saw Marmee? him as marmy marmy. What is marmy? Little women. For oh, little women. Look, you got it. I I've seen that movie <laughs> once, so Okay, that's disgusting. Um first of all, you have to, well, it's not as good as the nineteen ninety four version. Well, it doesn't have so, one note in it. How could it be? Exactly. Ooh. And that movie is like maybe my top four film of all time. Like I don't know what that ranking would be, but it is <laughs> that is a true classic. In fact, I probably should make my husband watch it. Um why was I talking about this? Oh yeah. I mean, when I talk, when I say I compare this movie to little women, it's not just because there's so much tragedy. It's because it's about the bond of these siblings. Mm-hmm. It's about the ambition that they all have, which is a huge theme in little women. And it's about, you know, the trial and tribulations that you go through when you have strong parental figures sort of guiding your way not saying that their father is uh, is an angel but he is a strong influence um he sees himself as a man of god um well yeah i guess so yeah i was about to say i mean like the the dichotomy is kind of like he's wrestling their mother is is the god person but yeah i would say he's not like a man of not god <laughs> No, but I mean, they've they've raised a household of Christian values, let's just mm-hmm. say. They have a homestead. I mean, there there are a lot of things that are very little women about would, I was about, story. oh, I was going to say TikTok trad wife. <laughs> um, that's a take. Were you, what were you going to say, Ed? Uh, uh, I don't remember now. You knocked me off there. Uh, mom, um, I, I think dad... Uh, Fritz loved his sons, absolutely, but didn't quite know how to convey that and at the same time make them do what he wanted them to do. And the mother character, and I'm blanking on her now, Doris, um, I thought she was just a shattered woman. And she, as you can see, she was getting more and more shattered as she lost each of her sons. She was oh, a, God, a wreck. Yeah. She was a wreck at the beginning, years after young Jack, the six-year-old, died. So, you know, there was that whole side of her. She was kind of like weak-willed, even though she wasn't trying to do that, and and couldn't deal with reality. Uh, Very interesting character. I mean, you know, she. What's funny is she when when Kevin even comes up to her and says, like, you know, Dad's too hard on Mike. She's just like, that's not. My thing, I don't, I don't handle all that situation. You work like, it out. You guys work it out. Yep, <laughs> that is outside of my purview in this household. So that's up to <laughs> you guys. And yeah, I mean, but it's funny because you, you know you watch this movie and and <laughs> it sounds insane to say, but like if it weren't for all the tragedy, again, they seem like they'd be pretty happy. You know, they're yeah. at that wedding. <laughs> Everyone's dancing. 
the the oh it's such a great scene Fritz and Doris are like hey you want to get out of here and go bang in the house now that all the kids are gone <laughs> like there is there is a lot of warmth and affection yeah and it and then it just starts to crumble in in the way that like you assume it will because you know that something bad is going to happen in this movie but when someone is uh coughing blood up into a toilet yeah, like not even just coughing up blood when you are that. if you are coughing up blood that's not great. When you are vomiting up blood, that is worse. You need true, to true, go to the true. fucking hospital. Oh yeah. my god! Yeah. Okay. I, 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 sitting alone in my house on like a Friday or Saturday night, exclaimed out loud when he moved and you saw what that toilet looked like. And oh, hundred percent. This like nice brotherly conversation. And I'm like, right, yeah, like, this is like, uh, this is like beautiful and really nice. But there, look to your left. Like there is a <laughs> fucking toilet <laughs> covered in blood. It was, and it was one of those things where it was like, it could almost be comical. Except you're sitting there and you're just like, yeah, this is how life happens. And this I think is... that those two actors pulled it off though. Oh my God. Um, yeah, it was perfect. Was, was absolutely there. And the odd thing, you mentioned this and I'm not, I'm not going to give away a big spoiler here, but. There's just horrible things happening throughout this movie, and yet around the end of it, it it somehow comes to this gentle, upbeat ending. And I all, all credit to the to to Sean Durkin for writing that. I don't know what really happened. Obviously, there's some fantasy sequences going on toward the end, but that just mm-hmm. I, I, I I all right. I shed a little tear. In terms of in terms of. <laughs> Of, of the, you forgiven. Have to, you have to write this movie with an ending that nails the emotional arc that you've been trying to get to, that says something, and that leaves people walking away not thinking, oh, Jesus, God, that's so terrible. And, no. you know, you would think that a father talking to his two sons who all speak in very textual ways about everything you've just seen would not work but in other words they're extremely literal right but Durkin's writing and Efron's performance and not only that but like his performance for the whole movie this is a man who is incapable of just saying like you know you've been talking a lot of smack Ronnie Underwood and I'm gonna hear I'm here to lay the smack like he couldn't even get that out like that's the level of of earnestness and he couldn't ask his wife out like this woman is obviously hitting on you and he's completely i am comically awful at picking up on signals uh for women who like me i've i've recently uh been reminded of that over and over and over again for some reason (laughs) um people have like been shouting at me um i will still not do anything or say anything i'm just not good at it and yeah, like I'm there and I'm just like, oh my God, dude, she wants you to ask her out. Oh man. It was that I liked that whole scene. I like I yeah. mean like yeah, there's Oh, it's beautifully lit too. This whole I mean the whole like the whole movie's immaculate. It's incredible. Yeah. Um yeah. yeah, like the cinematography's great, their acting there is great. And yeah, I mean that that last scene is just the culmination of everything that we know about all of those characters and everything that they've gone through. And not only that, but like it is an incredibly good performance with and against children because like sometimes that is just how you have to talk to children. <laughs> 
And oh my god, we'll be your brothers. Yeah, when when he when they're like when he he's sitting there watching them and he is crying and he Efron gives very good cry face in this movie. And they just run over to him and they're like, "What's wrong?" And he's like, "I used to, you know, be a brother, and now I don't have any brothers anymore." And like just the just like the simplicity of that statement. Like that, that level of just, this is bluntly what I'm talking about. It's not even like, oh, like my brothers are dead and I'm sad because I miss them. It's like, I have, I, I, when I met your mother, told her that one of the fundamental things I wanted was to be my brother among my brothers and have this family and all live together and do this stuff. And now that's been taken from me. Just like when Beth March dies. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Just, just like it. And then and then their whole identity is like we're sisters. And then for them to to say what you said, Robin, like, we'll be your brother's dad. And I was just like, oh my oh god. Oh my god. <laughs> oh man, I'm tearing I up fully again. Cried. Oh, I am again. Oh, oh can but, I just complain? And that's but I will just I'll just say that is how children are. Like if you tell them that there is a thing that is wrong and to you it seems like impossible, they will say something that is just so pure and guileless and heartbreaking. Like my daughter once said, like, I I really want like a brother or a sister. And I was like, look, I would love for you to have a brother and a sister. I want to have more children too. So like we're, we're together on that. And she's like, well, it's easy. Just find someone who loves you. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) I understand that when you put it like that, it's easy. And like, it's great that you're telling me this. And I like that. That's the way you think about it. It's so much more complicated than that, but it is beautiful that that's where your mind went. (laughs) Well, think of it this way, daddy. Uh, If you don't do it, mommy could. I'm sorry. I I didn't even hear anything you said after you said daddy. (laughs) I'm just saying, like, if you're in a competition with your ex-wife, she could have baby at any moment. You don't know. So you really got to work on this. So you're saying I need to pick it up. I need to speed, yeah. up <laughs> speed it up. Don't they have like Catholic swipe or something? Oh, dude. Oh, God. I saw. So I, I was watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine the other day because Andre Brower passed. Rest in peace. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I could either bust out my DVDs of Homicide or I could watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And I was like, I'm going to watch the comedy. <laughs> instead (laughs) yeah i'll go back and watch homicide i watch homicide every now and then he's a powerhouse in that but he is incredible as raymond holt in brooklyn 99 um but so i'm watching it on peacock right and peacock has commercials every now and then and so it's like very throwbacky because every once in a while a commercial will happen and so now i know all about rheumatoid arthritis uh stuff and what's happening at mcdonald's but i saw an ad the other day for something called stir it's a dating app and i swear to christ the tagline was where milfs meet dilfs it is specifically i guess for single parents to find other. oh okay so it's not like a horned up porno people no it is for for dads and moms who are attached to to get down and get together and it was i know this sounds perfect for you Weirdly sexual commercial. Um, no, I don't think it is perfect. It's like for, for the Brady Bunch and all of us. <laughs> wow, you folks really know how to devolve. 
Oh, dude, our tangents, they wow. go deep. Um, yeah, Stir. Stir is where solo parents can meet online, chat, and rediscover the fun of dating. It sounds like a fucking nightmare. No, <laughs> what you need is like use it. a young Catholic woman who wants to join an Insta family and then add to it. A yes, yes Amber. Oh, absolutely. Yes. So I've, I've had my eyes peeled in my church and, um, uh, you know, <laughs> for the latest fresh meat, every Sunday I go in there and I look <laughs> around and I'm like, all right, who's still single. It's and also like, who's at least who's vaguely 25? Gothic. <laughs> Catholic. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. Who loves do a you... man with about a million hobbies. Too many hobbies in all honesty. Um, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, my distillery is hosting a singles night uh, on uh, Valentine's Day. So if anyone would like to come to that, let me know. Go to schmidtspirits.com. Um, back to the movie. <laughs> oh, right. The movie. <laughs> More, oh, speaking of speaking of churches and dressing in black, Maura Tierney's best scene in this movie is when she is upset because she thinks people are going to recognize the dress because it's the been black dress. <laughs> too recently since another son has passed away. Ah, it's, yeah. it's a relatable problem yeah i am um, ever since i well even before i started working from home i i have always referred to my actual suit as my death suit because i only wear it like at christmas mass and funerals wow well you gotta remember this character was not thinking all that clearly at this point i oh, believe like, i used the word shattered before yeah so no, i accept I, I accepted that scene completely i, I like, accepted I that it. scene incompletely too especially because she's like she knows that she's uh the matriarch of a famous family yeah and she knows how that perception can be leveled when people are looking at you like that and so i'm sure that she was like there's so much about the statement they're going to recognize this dress that is like on the one hand it's insane that i have that i have i it has been so little time that i have not even gotten a new black dress but also, like, there is a knowledge of the fact that there are going to be eyes on her. And it's just she she rips that scene like crazy. And yeah. it is it is incredible the, what the, the performance she's able to give then. Uh, there, there is there is. I don't know which one of you said it, but there is not a bad performance in this movie. Yeah, yeah it's just an amazing ensemble. I mean, even Michael like, Harney even is these great. Small yeah. roles like the yeah. guy who played Ric Flair. Like what a. Oh. Wow. Dude, when he yeah. comes into the locker room and he is just freaking amped that Kevin nearly yeah. like ripped his scalp off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very, very memorable. Yeah. I loved um I loved Zach Efron so much in this. And hard to overstate how good he is. Like, really, you know, I'm not an Efron girly at all. I mean, even when even when he was at his sort of like most teen boppery i've never been into that type of guy um but i just remember his popularity really soaring after high school musical and then he sort of settled into this um this broy the sensitive bro i would say is maybe his persona it's so interesting because i was watching some show that he did for netflix where he just like goes to different places around the world, like learning how they, I don't know, eat nutritiously or I don't even know. I was just watching because it was about Sardinia and I <laughs> like that place. So, you know, at some point he's talking about how he avoids carbs, like not just avoids them, but, you know, he's really come to believe that carbs are like the enemy 
and he packs on all these proteins and stuff like that. And I just kept thinking like, oh, oh, this guy has like an eating disorder Mm. and he doesn't even really know that he does. Um, And maybe that's just Hollywood in in general. I'm actually, I'm pretty inclined to say that Hollywood is an eating disorder in and of itself, but (laughs) um, yeah, it was just so interesting. And then just, so that was my impression of him. I was just kept thinking like, oh, he's, he's, you know, he's pleasant. Uh, like he's really fun in the neighbor neighbors. Is that what those movies are called? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. He's so, he's totally funny in that, but to see him really extend himself, extend himself and do some role that is so imbued with trauma and, and warmth and grief i mean just i've never seen him better and he really rivals paul giamatti for me as maybe my favorite male performance my lead male performance uh there's one thing that pushes zach over the edge for me over giamatti mm-hmm. i don't think giamatti can climb to the top of the rope and jump <laughs> <off>. <laughs> and i mean that- it really is a physical feat like you want to talk yeah. about bradley cooper conducting yeah or- that was amazing yeah i have or, not you seen know, that movie yet so i'll take your word for it i mean mm, you're you're good um but (laughs) okay i'm just saying like if you're gonna go into actors doing these incredible skills or learning these incredible skills like you can't discount somebody um really embodying the athleticism of wrestling it's just incredible i mean i'll also put maybe juliette binoche up there and uh benoit majamel for just like cooking so beautifully in the taste of things but um you know, you know i of, didn't i, I yeah. didn't know until a couple of days ago that they were a real couple it is so palpable isn't it yeah i, mean, yeah. I don't know how long ago it was but yeah it was 20 years ago well, 20 is that true really they oh. broke up in 2003 wow i didn't wow yeah by the way what a beautiful movie that is too but there's no oh, wrestling yeah. in it no wrestling. no no plugging no, the taste, of, taste things. of things everybody yeah. can see it maybe we may cover it depending on how well it does at the Oscars. Um, but that's a whole side thing. I am losing my, I'm losing my mind. I I went looking up to see about like, Oh, like the lead performances. Basically I was like, Hey, let's, let's see if Efron's won anything or maybe it was Giamatti or maybe it was, um, um, Murphy, you know, I feel like those are the big ones, right? The ones that have been getting the most. Which Murphy? Killian. Oh yeah, him. Oh, yeah. that guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so <laughs> he's just more of a Killian than a Murphy. You first know? of all, like the, I guess the LA Film Critics Circle doesn't separate them out by male and female anymore. No mm. performances. I agree. Yeah, I don't agree with that. Sandra Hewler and Emma Stone. <laughs> well, that's funny. They they ended up doing it anyway because the women got the wins and the runner-ups were the men. Um, <laughs> Um, Jeffrey Wright in American Fiction, a film that has gotten uh, Wafka gave that best picture and I have yet to see it. And I there's so little buzz for that movie outside of critic circles. Um, yeah, that's very true. It's very weird. I feel like and again, I'm just looking at that and I'm like, how is how is Efron not a runner up? How is Giamatti not a runner up? Like what's happening? But no, but that's what I said at the beginning. The screeners came way, way too late. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and. I think that's the entire reason behind it because because normies I think would like this movie. Also, how like, do you I, win a leading performance for two different movies? 
That doesn't make any sense. She should have just split the vote and not won. Anyway, I don't know. I'm not in LA, so it doesn't. The way matter. that we, the way that um, Ed's and my critic circle did it is that we ask, we tell people vote for them in one movie. Yeah. And then if that person wins, but they have other, you know, great performances, then we'll say like for their work in uh, this and that. But it, we really ask people to like focus on one thing because. Would like we want to celebrate the actor, but it really should yeah. be based on one singular performance because it's well, performance, it's not performances, yeah, or like you know, star power or something, yeah. Anyway, I, uh, yeah, oh. I, I really I feel like this movie for whatever reason, like maybe they also it doesn't appear that it had like a festival release, right? That's what I'm saying. It all has come way too late, I think. Maybe A24 is like hoping that um, Jeremy Allen White's sort of status will will push it along. Um, but people are, some people obviously really love wrestling. Like I am not a wrestle person, but my husband definitely is. So there, there is some built-in audience for, for those folks. But uh, a lot of people who are not into wrestling are really like really not into wrestling, but they, they look down upon it. And I mean, I'm really uh, not into wrestling, but at the same, I was excited for this movie just cause it looked great. And I feel like it had positive yeah. buzz off the trailer. And this is the type of thing that you'd probably want to put out somewhere in the early, in the early fall so that people know to be excited for it. Yeah. I and mean, maybe know. they're hoping that the buzz will build through January, kind of like with Coda. That's that's possible, I guess. I mean, the I mean Coda came build. out in August, but yeah. the buzz will build. But but you're hitting on to an important subject here, topic. It's a wrestling movie. A lot of people are going to say, yeah, whatever. And they're not going to go because they think it's just a wrestling movie. It's about so much more than that. Yeah, yeah the, it family, is the family dynamic. Wrestling is the medium. This is a wrestling yep. movie like the, the Way Back is a basketball movie, which is to say it's not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're both incredible. <laughs> so it's not the way back. The way back. The way back. The w- the way back. The way back. No, it's not. It's not saying way back. It's saying I need to find the way to get back to where I'm going. No, it's like the way back. No, like in the way back. It is. You are finding the way back, not going way back. Whoa! Now in the old Rocky and Bullwinkle show, there was the Wayback Machine. Yes, exactly. It not, it's <laughs> not the Wayback Machine. Wayback. It's <laughs> it's the it's the Get Back Wayback. Anyway, another movie that uh, probably deserved some uh, best lead actor consideration. Oh. Yep, Ben Affleck. Is that the um, Adam Sandler one? No. Oh. God. No, it's the Ben Affleck one where he's an alcoholic and he teaches the uh the kids how to play basketball oh is that right. not the adam sandler basketball old guy movie what no no this is a movie that came out probably last january and i'm totally, oh, I totally... <laughs> yeah i don't know i i am aware of what you're talking about but i don't know what it is i it's no. just like sad old men loving basketball is that like a new genre because that was like people said like oh that's like a great movie the adam sandler one right people are is saying it? that yeah. The, the the one with the basketball. Yeah, people were like, oh, wow, this is like, you know, it dropped on Netflix or whatever, but like, it's really good. Uh, Hustle. Hey, just like one of my favorite films of the year, You Are So Not Invited to My Bat Mitzvah, also starring, <laughs> also starring. Adam Sandler. <laughs> yeah. 
We should have covered that one. Stacy and Lydia are BFFs who've always dreamed about having an epic bot mitzvah. However, things start to go comically awry when a popular boy, middle school drama, threaten their friendship in the right passage. All right. That could be fun. It was um, very relatable. Anyway, The Way Back was the last movie I saw in theaters before COVID shut everything down. Wow. Yeah. It was a good one. It was a good one to go out on. So wait, were we talking about like sport boy movies? So that's the thing. I think that some people will see that and be like, oh, it's a sports movie. But like the the best sports movies are not wholly about the sports. I mean, like another movie um, about like family and recovering from problems and everything uh, is a uh, warrior where the two brothers are MMA fighters. And that. Oh yeah, is yeah, an, yeah. Another movie, much like The Iron Claw and The Way Back, that makes me ball like a child. It is so incredible. In fact, I think it's the same director. It's Warrior and The Way Back are directed by the same person. It's um oh. Gavin McCloud or whatever his name no, is. No, it's not Gavin McCloud. <laughs> I know, I can't I can't remember what his name is. It's it's I'm I feel really bad that I can't remember what his name is. Okay, I've looked it up. It's Gavin O'Connor. Well, Connor McLeod, of course, was uh, the yes. character in, in Highlander. I, and and if you, is, you know, if you go back to Highlander, that movie opens with a big wrestling scene with the fabulous Freebirds. Connor McLeod is sitting in the garden watching a wrestling match. I think it's supposed to be like a, a metaphor for the for good and evil. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, it all comes back. But anyway, so yeah, I mean, the thing that these movies have in common is that they use the sport to externalize a lot of emotional issues, which I think is what every good movie does. It it finds a way to externalize all that stuff and to make it work thematically. And so, yeah, if I were to if I were to make a guy cry sport movie marathon (laughs) out of from the last like five years, it would be. Or maybe not five years, because I don't remember when Warrior came out. But it would be Warrior the way back and Iron Claw. Hmm. You know, the just a couple of years ago, it's uh, I want to say 2019 or 2020, there was a British film called Fighting With My Family. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was a really fun movie. It was, it was a was... wrestling movie about a real family and about mm-hmm. their interrelationships. Florence I was about to Florence say, Florence Pugh, Pugh yeah. was in that. Wasn't, there was yeah. the funny guy, the tall one, Vince Vaughn. Uh, Vince Vaughn, yep. Vince Vaughn was in there, and I can't remember who the Stephen Merchant was the father who actually directed that film, I believe. But that was another one about wrestling and family. Apparently another the Rock tr- is in this? true story. The Rock was in it. Yep, yep. That was, I mean, it was a lovely movie. Florence Pugh's got really dark black hair, so I'm into it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm real thick thighs. Um, <laughs> I I don't feel like I can say anything else without risking getting canceled. So. Uh-oh. <laughs> Never mind. I like my women brittle. I don't know. I I I don't like my women brittle. One of the, like I I remember sitting in Midsummer and looking at Florence Pugh and going, I know that like in this movie she's recovering from a great tragedy and I'm about to see a bunch of really fucked up shit happen, but she is the most beautiful woman I've ever met. And a lot of it is because oh, that's of that's like, why you liked Oppenheimer. The th- well, I mean, that's part of it. <laughs> She's great in it. And she's playing in that movie exactly the type of woman that I am attracted to. Just like um. poisonous and like actively, <laughs> actively trying to get you to go away, except for when she really needs you. And suddenly you're the most important person in the world, rebuffing all 
attempts at affection and then acting like you've ripped her heart out when you're finally like, I can't do this anymore. How do we reprogram you? I don't know, but that's my dream woman. Well, you need help. I know, man. I'm aware of it. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so if you're a woman like that, reach out. Um, (laughs) So what were you saying, Ed, about fighting with my family? No, I was just saying that that was another film that was had some similarities to this one. But I, I would like to mention, I, I watched recently a, lo- a lot of wrestling movies before I saw this one. And I found something that I, I, I had never heard of before. It was from 1985. I found it on YouTube. It was called Grunt, with an exclamation point. Grunt, the wrestling movie. I'm just going to give you a fingernail, whatever you call it, thumbnail description of it. A wrestler named Mad Dog has a big wrestling match with Skull Crusher Johnson. Mad Dog accidentally decapitates Skull Crusher when his, he- <laughs> when his head gets tied up in the ropes. The crowd goes crazy. Mad Dog, who does this decapitation, becomes so despondent, it commits suicide. It jumps off a bridge. Years later... A reporter tries to prove that the suicide was fake and Mad Dog is still wrestling under a mask. This is a documentary. What? But it's a faux documentary. Oh, damn it. I had no idea when I was watching. I didn't recognize any actors. It, It is such a funny and an absurd and kind of a shoddy movie. I loved it. It's called Grunt the Wrestling Movie. There you go. What year was it? 85. Okay. Yeah. It's, I've given everything. Well, I haven't given everything away because I haven't told you how it ends and I won't. <laughs> that was a, that was an original. Uh, it sounds <laughs> like a movie I would watch. <laughs> it's, it's on YouTube. Go for it. It sounds upsetting though. Unfortunately, fighting the no, family is, is streaming if you rent it or buy it, but it is unfortunately not streaming for free. But, you know, pay for the art you like, you monsters. Yeah. Uh, The Way Back is on TBS and TNT. I don't I don't know. With commercials. Yeah. Do those exist? Yeah, apparently. Um, I own this, I believe. So I'll just be using that. (laughs) And then let's see if we can find out where Warriors located. Oh, Warriors uh, 2011. It's apparently on stars. Oh, there you go. I do not own this. I should own this. I got to see if there's a 4K of Warrior out there. It's a great movie. Ed, <laughs> I, I'm curious. Happened. <laughs> no, I just, I was thinking, um, you know, didn't someone told me that you wrote a book about wrestling. Is that true? Um, I did an oral history of wrestling. Oh. At, at the uh, radio show I mentioned, uh, that was called Wrestle Radio USA. We recorded all of our interviews, and the book—it's uh, it, just called Wrestle Radio USA: Grapplers Speak. Uh, wow. Okay, I, so it's almost like an archive. Yeah, it's a collection of the interviews. It's just all Q and A, and I mean, I got Bruno Sammartino and Killer Kowalski and Lou Thez from the '30s, and as I mentioned, our first guest ever was uh, the fabulous Mula, and we we got some managers and. and announcers uh we got triple h who was just starting out as a wrestler at the time kevin nash uh rick flair is in it i actually met rick flair that was a 
really interesting moment. So, uh, yeah, but I, I don't even know if the book's still in print. It was uh, was put out on ECW Press, which has nothing to do with the ECW Wrestling Group. Canadian uh. publisher. Canadian publisher. Uh, came out in uh, oh, came out in 2004. Oh, my Lord. Where did those 20 years go? What were you doing in 2004, Brian? 2004. Um, my first full year living in Houston, Texas. I was uh, finishing up, or I was I was finishing up junior slash just starting senior year of high school. Uh, I don't know. That's about it. It was pretty boring because I was in a new wow. school and I didn't have any friends and I wasn't mm. really doing anything. Oh, it's a sad story. Yeah, I know. What are you gonna wow. do? Hey, you want to hear about my new book? Yeah, hell yeah. Can I give a plug here? Plug, okay, I, plug, plug. And I plug the um I plugged my daughter's Girl Scout cookies. You can plug <laughs> yeah. <them. laughs> we, uh, we also need to plug your Washington Post piece. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. Today, right. Okay. Washington Post, a piece about uh, my it was my interview uh, with Sean Durkin. It's online today. It'll be out in, in the print version on Sunday. I don't know if it's any good to have a print version of a story on Christmas Eve. Is anyone going to be around to read it? But yes, I'm very thrilled with that. But I just finished uh, a new book. Well, actually, I edited it. I'm using other people's work, but I edited it and wrote a big essay on uh, the great filmmaker, the great late filmmaker, Russ Meyer. And nice. That will, that will be coming out sometime next year uh, as part of a series that was um, University Press of Mississippi. Um, they, they do films. Uh, they do a series called uh, Conversations with the Director, uh, Conversations with Filmmakers. And uh, I got to do one on Russ Meyer. I mean, people tell me that I'm a fool to do that, but hey, I I like his movies. Why a fool? Uh, because he makes filthy movies. <laughs> <laughs> and some people are angry at me for doing that, but he makes funny movies, and he's a really good filmmaker. Was a really good filmmaker. The only films you might know were Beyond the Valley of the Dolls and Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. Some, yeah. Yes. Some of the titles that he did, I can't talk about, even though we can curse on here. I, just, I feel uncomfortable. But very, <laughs> inter- very interesting character who I had the fortune of interviewing myself a couple times. So uh, that's that awesome. Will be a, Congratulations. Some, sometime next year. Yeah. Uh, conversations with Russ Meyer. So I'm curious, you had mentioned uh, before we, we started talking that you, there was some stuff that had been cut out of your interview. Yeah, just is there anything particularly interesting you'd like to throw out as an exclusive on our podcast? I'm uh, hold on, I'm calling. I'm looking at my interview here. I uh, I have it here somewhere. Send the transcript. We can do a dramatic reading. (laughs) Wait a minute. Where I can't find my Sean Durkin pages. Give me a moment. We're gonna have some dead air, so pick it up. (laughs) That's all right. I am an expert at vamping. I'm gonna start reading the cast list of the movie Warrior from 2011. Tom Hardy, Nick Nolte, Joel Edgerton, Frank Grillo, Kevin Dunn. <laughs> oh, God. Are these all just like the same men? What do you mean? <laughs> like, to me, Joel Edgerton and Tom Hardy, like, they exist. Like, they can't be in the same room together. That's because such a then girl opinion. The Those are two <laughs> very different actors. The movie also. You're a ha- girl opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell. I can't tell if that's a compliment or a burn. Okay, I, I can break up this argument. I found a, a one quote that I, I didn't get into it that I really liked when I was talking to Dirk. I had a phone call with him. Um, 
I mentioned to him that movies with wrestling themes have never really been a staple in Hollywood. And was this hard to get made? And he said, of course, every movie is hard to get made. Um, but I'm going to just read from it. Um, let me see. Uh, the movie, this movie is um, about family. It's about wrestling. It's about tragedy. And it's about how you balance those things to make the film. It was a delicate, long process, especially when I care so much for this family. I care so much about wrestling and about portraying wrestling at a level that I felt has never really seen it portrayed. I tried to strike this balance, which was very difficult, that even if wrestling is staged and written and preconceived, whatever term you want to use, mm -hmm. The performers still have to perform, and the physicality of that performance is one of the most difficult feats in all of athletics. So I focused on the idea that even if the end is determined, you still have to go out and perform and fight the fight, and you really win it by your performance. If you don't perform, you don't win. Even if the bell rings and they announce you as the winner, that's the real victory in wrestling, how wrestlers win over an audience. Oh yeah, which kind is exactly what we talked yeah. about earlier. Yeah, that was his exact quote on it. I love that. I am, I am, I am furious that that's not part of the interview that gets printed because that's such ah. like to me as a person who's watching this movie again, not really understanding the what's like I, I don't know the, like the appeal of wrestling to other people and not knowing how to dramatize it well. Knowing that yeah. he said exactly that and that I picked up on that and felt it. Like I just I. I know that once an artist creates their art, it's out in the world and you can respond to it, however. But I always love it when my feelings about something are so directly reflected in their intention, just because like, I, I know that I'm, I don't want to say I'm reading it right, but I just, I like to know that they have succeeded so well in creating yeah. what they set out to do. And, and I think he did. And there's one other thing he said, and it's only a couple of words. He said, one of the reasons that he's amazed that these men and women keep doing this, there's no off-season. They do it all year. They do, I don't know, like four or five nights a week, and they have to keep, and then they just hop on a, uh, their van or whatever or their plane, and they travel to the next town and do it again. They have to beat the hell out of each other. Are you yeah. playing a tambourine? <laughs> What's going on? Uh, no, I don't I think I'm just waving my hands and hitting something. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so exuberant. I'm, I'm getting excited here. Yeah, yeah. You remind me, it's like an old school uh, sports announcer who's got like all the papers in front of him and he's just so <laughs> excited he's just hitting them on the table. I, I think that's what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Subconsciously. But uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I love the film. I love talking with the guy. Someday I think he's probably going to make a soccer movie. There's a little hint. Oh. He was talking about doing that. His first sport when he was a kid was soccer. This is in the interview. His second sport was wrestling, but he wasn't very good at it. So he said, all right, I think I'll become a filmmaker. Is he just like know. a 90s kid? I'm looking at what year he was born because it, the, the way it goes is soccer, basketball, wrestling, right? If you were born in like 88. Well, he was living in England at the time. He's from Canada. He moved yeah. to England where he learned soccer. He called it football. I, I turned it into soccer. And then he came back to the States. He was born in 1981. Yeah, because wow. isn't the nest sort of semi-autobiographical? Uh, I don't know. I didn't talk about that film. <laughs> it's no idea. Yeah, I, yeah. Um, I don't remember. I think there's some element of it. 
I'm going to have to watch this movie again. It's Jude Law and Carrie Coon. That's incredible. I don't remember anything about this movie. That's probably a good indication that it's not worth rewatching. Oh, I don't know. I, don't, I think good. the problem might have been, Robin, that it was 2020. And so the world was on fire. <laughs> and I think that. Oh, might please. Be so many good movies came out in 2020. Like what? Like the Nomadland. Uh, Nomadland is bullshit. I did not like that movie. Emma. Emma? What? I don't even know what that means. Crip Camp. Also not wow. sure what you're talking about. That's not wow. a movie. Yes, they all are. <laughs> no, you're just making up words. With my girl opinions. Yeah, those are very girl opinion <laughs> movies. Well, what if for whatever it's worth, I didn't like Nomadland either. So, hey. Yeah, oh Nomadland is like beautiful golden hour photography and like nothing else. Oh, I totally disagree. Well, you are a curmudge. You were on that episode, right? Like we've already probably Yeah, and I'm mad at you all over again. All right, well that's fine. No. I don't care. Um what else came out that year that was bad? It was bad. Like a like a oh, bunch of stuff. Like a anyway, lot. I don't know. I oh, look- I know what came out that in 2020? Uh, another documentary came out called You Cannot Kill David Arquette. And it was about pro wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> it was and a documentary when, when David Arquette's acting career started going downhill. He said, you know, I always wanted to be a wrestler. And he got into it. He <laughs> trained. He started doing it. He was in a movie called Ready to Rumble. Right, yeah. Road, that's what I was going to bring up. That was a dreadful movie. But when he was going through a midlife life crisis, and he went for it. And he started, unfortunately, it wasn't regular pro wrestling. He started doing extreme wrestling where you put barbed wire and thumbtacks on a baseball bat and hit each other on the head with it. So it's, it's kind of weird stuff. But it's a very good documentary. You cannot kill David Arquette. Write yeah. that one down, folks. <laughs> and uh, for, any, for anyone interested, The Nest is currently streaming on AMC+. And where is Martha Marcy May Marlene? I will find that. Because I think that's a superior film. Hmm. To The Nest? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree. No, I wouldn't say it's better than The Iron Claw, but I think it's a yeah, very I good Yeah, I think movie. The Iron Claw is the best. I think Martha Marcy May Marlene. It is not, uh, from what I can see, streaming anywhere. It is, however, available for rent on Amazon Prime Video. Okay. Not even Tubi. <laughs> no, it doesn't seem like it. Here, let me check another place. You know, you can always get it at your local library on a deep. <laughs> we don't leave the house. Support you can. Uh, you could probably have it delivered these days. Libraries, uh, libraries only, have if lots only of. There was like, um, if only there was like a service where you could tell a large distributor what you'd like to rent, and they could email or they could mail you the disc, and yeah. you have a while to watch it. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, the good old days. Those were the days. I did. I did fucking love that. Um, I thought that business model was so fucking stupid. Like you know, back in like 2006 or whatever, I was just like, mm, "How lazy are you?" Like the fun thing is going to Blockbuster oh, and so walking around for two hours, picking out. Felt movie. the same way, and then I went to college. <laughs> oh, bragger over here. <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm in my dorm without a car and there's not a blockbuster within walking distance. And so me 
and a, and my roommate in college got a three disc plan and we split the cost and I was able to get two discs and he was able to get one. And I just fucking plowed through those things. It was great. Netflix back when, you know, you got the flicks from the net, but it had to be sent via the mail. (laughs) Okay. These days have the whole world at their fingertips. They don't know what it's like to, you know, have things curated for you and you feel like it's a lot of choice, but really it's like maybe 10 things. Oh yeah. I, I miss the illusion. Yeah. 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 I agree. Um, I, I still find it easier to find and buy books at a Barnes and Noble than to go on Amazon because Amazon, there's too many options. And also, you you have how to, are like, you supposed to search? You right, have to you, know what you, you want. You have to look specifically for something. Exactly, Robin. So like I found what is legitimately like one of my favorite living authors right now, Lauren Groff, because I like went to. Oh, she went to Amherst College. I know you keep telling me that every time I bring her up. <laughs> like I went to a bookstore and I was just looking around and I was like, oh, this this looks interesting. Arcadia. All right. Yeah, I guess I'll buy that. And then I like plowed through it. and I was like, this is fucking brilliant. Wow. Yeah. So hey, what's, the, what's the name of the book again? Uh, Arcadia by Lauren Groff. All right. G-R-O-F-F. Always looking for recommendations. Yeah. And then I read The Monsters of Templeton, which was her first book, which was very good, but not as good as Arcadia. But like, what are you going to do? Um, and the I'm looking forward book. to reading. Yeah. And for a first book, it's like wildly ambitious. It was still really good. I still read it like super fast. Um. And I'm looking forward to reading uh, Faints and Furies and The Matrix and The Vaster Wilds and whatever else she has. I think there's one more. But anyway, I can't think. I feel like, yeah, we might we might be done, right? <laughs> now that- yeah, no, I think we have really exhausted um, the breadth of this film, which all, all very much affected us. I'm curious, Ed, is this going to be in your top 10? Yes, it was funny uh, initially when i put my I, the top 10 list is put together it's in the other room i can't recite it i don't remember but this was initially um a runner-up in the the bottom 10 whatever you call it uh but i rewatched it i watched mm. it the second time to prep for this and i said oh, and there was so much you know i didn't have to take notes the second time and i could watch it and i got totally wrapped up in it and as I think will happen to viewers, you're going to watch this thing and you're going to be squirming throughout part of it. And you're going to be maybe even clapping and applauding at some of the stuff and crying a little bit. But at, at the end of it, I just felt so good. I really did. And it, it's tough for a movie to do that to me because, you know, I was seeing three a day for the past month. Yeah. This mm-hmm. movie affected me. It really did. I loved it. Yeah. Sometimes you just. You get to be cynical because you've seen it all. It's very easy, especially for a critic during award season to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, whatever. And so, yeah, to have a movie just like drop kick you like this one does, um, especially coming off the heels of, of having seen the boy and the heron. I'm just like, man, movies are great. <laughs> it's hard to remember. Like, I don't even know four to three to two years ago when I was just like, all movies are terrible. I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. And now I'm just like, man, there's so much good that came out. Sure. You have to suffer. This through. was a strong year for movies, in my opinion. I agree. And I, I, there are still so many movies that I need to see that are apparently all coming out this week. 
Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. I, I may be the uh, I may be the only critic in the uh, Western Hemisphere that's putting uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. No, I am too. Are you really? Oh, it's in my it's my number eight. I think. Wow. I did not bother to see that movie. Um, it, it, it fucking rules, Brian. It's what a surprise! What a really the animation's gorgeous. Really, and it's the, awesome. uh, like I see it as the I saw the trailer and I the animation made me want to throw up. It was. Maybe it works uh, better know, in like it... a long form, but like it just looked so smeary and dirty. And I think terrible. it looks great. And, it was so innovative. Some, some of it is smeary and dirty, but there are many different styles of animation yeah. worked into it. And and the thing that got me though, it's so damn funny. It's oh, it's hilarious! Hilarious. Well, so that's we, what we, you need from the turtles. So at some point, I will probably watch it. Um, it's Seth Rogen, man. Seth Rogen wrote the yeah, movie. Yeah, watch it oh, with that um, makes Akura. me so much less interested. Um, okay, no, Evan Goldberg, uh, Evan Goldberg, <laughs> and Evan Goldberg together. Yes. Okay. Well, you don't need okay, to see that's, it. Okay, that's that's a that's a real that's that's like a real up or down for me. That's there's like some hit and miss there. Um, <laughs> I still it's have to see friendly. poor things. I still have to see that other movie that's coming out this week that I can't remember. Wonka. I Vodka? Wonka. Wonka. Oh, yeah, that's not a thing I got to worry about. Another um, pleasant surprise. I, really? up, I don't like musicals. I don't like Chalamet, and I love the movie. Do you like Paddington? Yes. Same director. Yes. I, I yeah, I loved Paddington well, and Paddington. I like the too, second so. one more. Yeah. Second Paddington too. And yeah, he, the, the director's got an interesting vision and he made a damn good musical with Timothy Chalamet <laughs> somehow. I mean, he, his, his musical sequences when he was doing the mighty Boosh were great. So this does not shock me. Um, no, I can't remember what I was going to say. It was going to be it was going to just going to be a litany of other movies that I still need to see. Well, poor things is the one you need to see first. Yes, I 100% need to see that. But luckily, this We have podcast, to because that's no covering. <laughs> yes, it is like one of the next ones we're doing. Luckily for us, this podcast doesn't usually do a top 10 episode until mid-February. Yeah, we're fun. <laughs> well, we, we understand. I mean, like when people were dropping their top 10 lists in like November. Yeah, you know, it's just like absurd. go straight to hell. You're either showing off or you're <laughs> just being really presumptuous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I still got to see turtles. Maestro. Turtles, turtles, turtles. You don't need to gotta, see gotta Maestro see, right away. Got to see Oppenheimer like another three or four times. Oh, my God. Knowing you, you probably fucking love Maestro. <laughs> uh, oh, boy. I we'll didn't see like that. It's not the worst thing, but you really have to sit through a lot to get to anything that's worthwhile. Got to see not enough, the world behind. Not enough music in Maestro, believe it or not. That's yeah. bananas. They'll just watch Tar <laughs> again and pretend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, well on that lovely note. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. So glad uh, that you were here to help us navigate through the world of wrestling while we talked about the Iron Claw. Um, this was fun. A, a movie that fun. we we could we totally could have gotten through this movie not knowing anything about wrestling um, and still talk about it. But I love the fact that we had all that context, and I'm sure the wrestling fans who find this episode will appreciate it as well. They will. They'll love it. Hell yeah. Um, what else now? Uh, well, don't forget to go to MUBI.com slash film stage. That's movie.com slash film stage for a free 30 day trial subscription of movie, uh, where you can check out that, uh, curated, uh, content that, uh, Robin was talking about earlier. It's nice to have some curation in your life. Uh, still have choice. Don't Brian, forget. Can I ask you one more question before you? Oh, yes. Yes. Yet? 
Brian, what's your favorite Girl Scout cookies? Oh, dude. Oh, okay. So I was, ju- well, first of all, um, dude, it's so difficult. I think what's funny is, so the s'mores cookies are incredible, right? But they're not like a classic. They come back every now and then. I really like the Samoas. I think that if if yeah. I were only able to eat one Girl Scout cookie, I would go for the Samoas. I want the cookie, caramel delight. The caramel. Um, what are the caramel delights? There's they're Samoas. They changed the name. Oh, no, oh. so they're they're still Samoas for <laughs> for Madonna. Oh, in Maryland. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> okay. Well, for us, they're caramel delights because cookies aren't people. Oh, <laughs> I don't I don't know what to say to that. Um, so the thing is what Girl Scout cookies, actually, they have different names in different regions too. So I think, um, trefoils or something somewhere else or lemon, the lemon ones. I don't know. Anyway, so Samoas are great. Um, the, the coconut, the caramel, the chocolate, the The chocolate, the, the tagalongs, which are the cookie with the peanut butter covered in chocolate are great. Not a thin mince guy, which I know is a controversial opinion. Mint and chocolate are enemies. I don't understand it. Yeah, Yeah. dude. Okay. So I, to this year, my daughter had a trunk or treat, right? So we're all parked in the school parking lot. We've got our trunks open. We've decorated our cars. I just dump two Costco variety packs of of candy down and i'm looking there and there's so many peppermint patties the york peppermint patties yeah and i'm like god i'm gonna be stuck with like 50 of these stupid things because nobody likes york peppermint patties the kids destroyed them i was shocked and the other thing that shocked me was apparently a uh, hundred grand bars are in are big thing oh, now fuck off you might as well tell me necco wafers are the next which big is thing. well that's crazy because i love hundred grand bars and I, no one else ever liked them. So I had run of the table for them. And then these kids were like, Oh great. A hundred grand. And I was like, what are you from the sixties? What's happening right now? Hey, wait a minute. I am. And I love sky bars. Damn it. I don't know what a sky bar is. Is that like yeah, a I don't bar? Know. It's picturing Willy Wonka. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so, so yeah, my answer is Samoa's. However, yeah, there is a, uh, a new, Challenger has entered the ring uh, to go back to the wrestling thing. This, <laughs> wow. I have never had these. They are called Adventurefuls. <laughs> I saw uh, those. They, I I have already ordered two boxes. They wow. look incredible. This is the, the copy for them. Indulgent brownie inspired cookies with caramel flavored cream and a hint of sea salt. It's like, it's, oh, dude, they look okay. so shockingly good. And I am just like gonna devour them and you know where you can get some of these adventure foals everyone oh my god no where miss cora <laughs> <laughs> yes oh man now that we've talked about uh the cookies again and we've gone over all the ones you can get is there anyone that we didn't like even mention like well, just... what does what do you like ed, oh, ed well, I'm, I'm really old school sorry oreos well, they don't offer those. <laughs> is that a girl's but I will cookie? Say- <laughs> oh, girl's cookies. I'm sorry. No, I am. I Well, you know, I'll be honest. I used to be a thin mint guy. And uh, I, I try not a fat to mint eat- guy. No, I try not to eat too many cookies. They're bad for you. Sorry. Oh. Sorry. Yeah, they're terrible for you, but I'm ordering so many of them. <laughs> you know, some of us are in survival mode, okay? 
So there's also these things called dosi dos, which are apparently an oatmeal sandwich cookie. <laughs> oh yeah, Nick made me buy two boxes of those. Oh good. All right. Yeah. Oh man, those sound really good too. Really, the only thing I don't want is the Thin Mints. There's another thing <laughs> called Toffee Tastic. It's a rich, buttery cookie with a sweet, crunchy. It sounds toffee like it's trying too it. hard. Yeah, it is trying a little too. So I'm not going to hard. But now I'm kind of like, oh, should I get some dosi dos too? I don't know. Um, They're giving off like Nutter Butter vibes, but I haven't eaten them. Oh, the dosi dos. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. I think I love. I love Nutter Butters. I ordered Adventurefuls, which are the brownie ones, Samoas, Tagalongs, and the s'mores because the s'mores are good. The s'mores are incredible. They are a dollar more per box, but it is worth it. I will say, Ed. uh, I know you're saying you're an Oreo guy. If you check out the Whole Foods cookie section, you will find. A version of Oreos that's actually better than the Nabisco. Um, Is it the Newman's Own ones? Wait. No, they're not Newman's Own. They're just the 365 sandwich creams. I think that they're superior. You are talking heresy. I, I'm absolutely a heretic. I'm, I'm a blasphemer, <laughs> but I know cookies. Oh, man. And I noticed that I am guilty here and got you all to devolve again. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's easy to do. Very easy to do. It just happens. (laughs) It happens. I will say just one more opinion because we're just, we're, you know, we're going overboard here. I am not a mint and chocolate person except for Andy's candies. For some reason, those are acceptable. I don't know what Andy's candies are. No, me either. Hey, you've never had, uh, they're like very thin. It's like, Two layers of chocolate, and in between is a very, very thin layer of green, and they melt in your mouth. You ever had Andy's candies? Oh, you know what? Are you talking about like Andy's mints? Like A N D E S? Okay, I thought you meant there is a man named Andy. Oh, yeah, brother Andy. (laughs) I was thinking a Toy Story, yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, Andy's is in (laughs) the Andy's mountain range. I I fully understand now. (laughs) Yeah, they're mad good. I I don't like those either. No, I'm sorry. Okay, the, uh, I accept your opinion, and you just have it. to live with it. Anyway, um, now that we've gotten our our listeners good and hungry again, let me remind you that you can go to gsdigitalcookie.com slash code <laughs> and enter the code EVKQBB88. That is Echo Victor Kilo. I don't know what the Q is. Quinton. Queen. <laughs> Queen. <laughs> bravo. Hello. Bravo. Eight, eight. Um, for, All right. We've yeah, lost at, our minds. We at need some cookies. cookie.com slash code. Um, did you ever watch AP Bio? No. Either of you? There's I didn't really, attend it and I didn't watch it. Nope. There's a really funny scene where someone is on the phone and they're doing like the, oh, you know, this is how you spell my name. It's like, or, you know, whatever. It's like P is in uh, psychology. <laughs> <laughs> M is in mnemonic. K is in kilo. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, European. I can't. I used to remember the NATO phonetic alphabet and I do not anymore. Anyway, uh, booby.com slash film stage. Patreon.com slash the film stage show. 
for uh, $1 an episode, you get access to our Slack channel, blah, blah, blah. Um, I think that's it. Robin, what are we talking about next time? We won't be back for like a week and a half to two weeks. Yeah, we celebrate winter recess in these parts, Yay. and we will be doing poor things. Poor things. And you better do the music from Sweeney Todd for that intro. Uh, okay, yeah. Which music Poor from Sweeney things. Todd? Oh, oh, okay. I've, I just butchered that. Sorry, I haven't no. seen Sweeney Todd in forever, so I was like the the one where it's like uh, Mrs. Muffet or whatever. Da 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 da. Anyway, I'll make sure you have the right information. Yes, please just send me that link so I can queue it up properly. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for today. Ed, thank you for being here with us and putting up with our shenanigans. Uh, and right right back at you. I had Excellent. a few shenanigans myself. This was awesome. Would, you like, you. would you like to do any final plugs? Tell people where they can find your work online or replug anything you plugged earlier? Um, uh, look at the Washington Post. Uh, it'll be, as I said, it'll be in the print version on Sunday. It's online right now. It's probably expensive to subscribe to, but to read a piece by me is worth it. Uh, and you can find my work semi-regularly on the artsfuse.com. All right. Robin Barr. Uh, yeah, I guess you can find me on X or whatever. Uh, R-O-B-Y-N-B-A-H-R. I'm also on Letterboxd at the same name. And yeah, you can sometimes find my writing at The Hollywood Reporter. All right. Awesome. And you can find me at gsdigitalcookie.com. <laughs> no. Um, Find my writings over at my personal site, BrianJerone.com. Also, of course, at TheFilmStage.com, where you can also find every episode of this here podcast. And uh, don't forget to go to InkwellWhiskey.com to learn more about the whiskey that I make. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and to tune in next time. Baby,